book in the Old Testament Scriptures, page 58, Exodus chapter 1, and we read from verse 1. Page 58, Exodus chapter 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered seventy in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous. So the land was filled with them. Then a new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become much too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, will join our enemies fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labour. And they built Python and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labour, in brick and mortar, and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their hard labour, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Puah, when you help the Hebrew women in childbirth, Observe them on the delivery stool. If it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. Because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, Every boy that is born, uh, you must throw into the Nile. But let every girl live. And then we have the record of the birth of Moses in these very, very difficult circumstances. The refusal of his mother to throw him into the Nile and to kill him. uh, And how then um, he was rescued and grew up as a man. And we read now verse 23 of chapter 2. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery 
went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Amen. Now let us continue to worship God at seven in the church Bible. Ephesians chapter 6 and we want to read from uh, verse uh, 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you but like slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as to the Lord, not men, because you know or knowing that the Lord will reward everyone for what good, whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no favoritism with him. We're almost finished our studies in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Uh, and we're in this section now uh, where Paul addresses various groups within the church. The kind of groups that you would have found within a household in that day. Every ten years, uh, we have to complete in our own nation a census form. And on a certain night, you've got to record everybody that is living in your household on that night. Well, if you'd been living in Paul's day, then it didn't matter what night you had to complete the census. There would have been a husband and wife uh, there would have been usually children in the home and there would have certainly been slaves in the home. And Paul now writes to these groups that would have been found in a household and these groups that are found within the church. And he has a particular reason for doing so. You will remember about a month, six weeks ago, when we were looking at Ephesians chapter 2 and 3, we saw how Paul had emphasised that there is an equality among Christians. doesn't matter what background we have been saved from, whether we were Jew or Gentile, male or female, rich or poor, none of those things that are distinctions out there in the world, matter in the church. When someone comes to saving faith in Christ, there is an equality that we have one with the other. There's no one who can say, I am better than you. I am more important than you. 
all of us are equal. And that's a wonderful and important biblical teaching as we saw then for us to hold on to in our little congregation here. There is an equality that we have in Christ. There is a unity that we have in Christ. Now here's the danger in Paul's day. And it is the danger in our day. The danger is that this new teaching of equality and unity in Christ will go to the heads of newly converted people. Think of the newly converted woman. And she says, well, I am equal to my husband. Therefore, uh, there is no headship, there is no leadership within the family. My word is as good as his. Or think of the young child, now recently become a Christian. And they say, in God's sight, there's no difference between me and my parent. We are equal. And the child turns and says to its parents, I don't have to obey you any longer. I'm my own person. Or think of the slave who has recently become a Christian. And uh, they have a master. And they take the attitude, remember what we were taught in church yesterday? Well, here now we are, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, when I'm working for you, we are equal. And you don't have any right to tell me what to do, or how to do my work. That's the danger. And to prevent that happening, Paul speaks to each of these groups. He speaks to the women. He speaks to the children. And he speaks to the believing slaves. And then he will speak, uh, as we have seen, to the husbands in a lesser way, a shorter way, to parents in a briefer way, and then to masters in a briefer way. And Paul is wanting to emphasize to each of these groups that there is an authority structure that God has placed in human relationships. And the fact that we are all equal in Christ does not destroy the authority structures or do away with the authority structures that God has placed in society. It's not either or. It's both and. You are equal in Christ, but you have different roles. In your standing of equality, and in the roles that you fulfill in life, in those roles, there is to be a submission, the part of the wife, to the husband's leadership. You children, you are to obey your parents. And slaves, or as we have it today, the nearest equivalent is employee. You are to give a submission and obedience to your employer. 
And so this morning we come now to the slaves. And again Paul will teach that slaves, though they're equal to their masters in Christ, are nonetheless under their masters in the setting of working day-to-day life. Now, slavery was universal in the ancient world. We talk today about the labour force or the workforce. You turn on the news and the most recent employment figures uh, or unemployment figures have been released and they will say there is 10% of the workforce that cannot find work or whatever. Well, in those days, the slaves were the labour force. They were the workforce. They were, to use our term today, the employees. And these slaves, they didn't just hold or do menial or manual tasks. Educated people, doctors, teachers, lawyers and many others occupied the position of slave. Slavery was part and parcel of the fabric of everyday life. Nobody questioned it. It was as common among the rich in that society as the au pair is in modern affluent society. Everybody had slaves if you had wealth. And the same way, in a sense today, if you're wealthy and well-to-do, you have an au pair or a childminder or someone who comes in and does all those duties that um, the husband and wife, they can get on with life and they don't have to get down into the nitty-gritty things of everyday life. Slaves could be inherited. They could be sold. They could be bought. They could be used as a payment for a bad debt. Uh, And they were at the disposal of their owner. Now, what do we want to see this morning? Uh, And there's four things that we want to see. Three with regard to slaves or workers. And uh, that would be a better uh, and perhaps more helpful way to introduce each point from your point of view today. Workers serve obediently. Workers serve wholeheartedly. Workers serve assuredly. So, and then managers or masters manage accountably. Okay, let's look at it together. First of all, verse 5. Workers uh, serve obediently. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. With sincerity of heart. Just as you would obey Christ. And verses 5 to 8, the section that deals with workers or slaves, obey is the most significant of the verbs that occur. Obey is the most significant. We'll come to the verb doing later on, uh, and we'll come to the verb serving later on, uh, and those are um, the tense in which the way in which they're written, they're less significant. 
This word obey is in the plural and it is an imperative. That means it's a command that Paul directs to every last slave in the church in Ephesus. Says every last one of you who's a slave, and every last one of us who's a worker, obey. No exceptions. He doesn't say if your master is a Christian, you don't have to obey him. He doesn't say if your master is not a Christian, you don't have to obey him. He doesn't say if your master is cruel. You don't have to obey him. Paul is laying to rest here any idea, any thought that because a Christian slave was equal to his master in Christ that they could challenge the master's authority or ignore the employer's word or cash in in the master's goodwill. The Christian slave The Christian worker is not able to take liberties. They can't say, my master, my employer, well, he's a Christian, he will see me right. He will turn a blind eye if I'm late. If I do less work. If I do it shabbily. Because, after all, he and I are equals in Christ. Paul says that's not even on the radar. Now Paul is not seeking here to prop up the status quo. He's not making any judgment about whether slavery was right or wrong. It's a fact of life. And so often that's what you and I need to realise. We're dealing with situations and the issue's not, is it right or is it wrong? It's the reality of where we're at in life. And we've got to face that and find biblical principles to work through that. Nor is he merely... Wanting to keep Christian slaves out of trouble. Though his command to obey will almost certainly do that. But Paul wants Christian slaves to gain a whole new perspective on their role in life. And as a Christian this morning, Paul wants you and me to gain a whole new perspective on work in life. It's not just a means to an end. Sometimes it will be said of work and other things, it's a necessary evil. That's not how we're to think of work, Paul says. It's not a way to keep the wolf from the door, as sometimes is said. Or, as sometimes is said, it's a way to pay the bills. We've got to, we have to have a much, much higher view of our work. Paul says here, their work is a form of Christian service. You got that? Slavery, employment, work is a form of Christian service. I want you to forget about the middle part of the verse and notice in verse 5 slaves slaves, obey your earthly masters just as you would 
obey Christ. Do you see what he's saying? Employment in our day, slavery in Paul's day, is for the Christian a form of service to Christ. In many Christian circles today, if they were asked, if they knew me and they were asked, what is Harry's role or what is his job? People would say, he's in full-time Christian service. You also are in full-time Christian service. Whatever you do, cleaning, teaching, labouring, emptying bins, boys and girls school, it's for you, as the ministry is for me, full-time Christian service. That's how we think of it. There is no division in scripture between secular and sacred. All of Christian living, whatever we do, we are to do to the Lord. It is service to the Lord. So your job, your work, whatever it is, no matter how menial it is, or it's the most stimulating job in the world, it is Christian service that you are to do to the Lord. And that is a completely revolutionary way to think about work. And perhaps it will help some of us in just the challenges that we face in work. And just the grind that sometimes we have in work. And some of the difficult people and some of the difficult scenarios we've got to deal with in work. If we can think of, I'm not doing this for man. I'm doing this for the Lord Jesus Christ. But sweeping floors. I'm doing this as if Christ was going to walk this floor. If it's keeping accounts, I'm doing this as if this were Christ's account. So, workers serve obediently. The phrases in between, let's just comment on them very briefly. With fear and trembling and in singleness of heart. If you look up Philippians chapter 2 verse 12. You'll find the phrase with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And if you look up Romans chapter 12 verse 8. Paul will talk there about singleness of heart. In whatever we're doing. Did you see what Paul's saying here? He's saying as you would live out your Christian faith. And you have always a consciousness I'm to do this with fear and trembling, in other words, with a reverence for God. I'm to, do, I'm to go about my faith with singleness of heart. Paul says, do exactly the same with regard to your work. Do it with fear and trembling. Do it with the same singleness of heart as you pursue your Bible reading uh, and prayer and every other aspect of your devotional life. 
Let's notice then, secondly, workers serve wholeheartedly. We're coming now to verses 6 and 7. I'm going to give you a literal translation for verse 6 because uh, I feel that there's a weakness just in uh, what we read here earlier. Verse 6 literally reads, Not with eye service. In other words, not with keeping an eye on the clock or an eye on the master uh, to please the master as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ. And here's the key, the, the verb then that's a lesser verb under obey. It's the verb doing. That's a present participle. Doing the will of God from the heart with good will doing service. Another present participle. So, obey is a command, as we saw earlier, the first point, and then this attitude of doing and doing service is the ongoing, and doing it to the Lord and not to men. Now, Paul's emphasis now is having established that their service as slaves, your work as an employee, is service to Christ. He comes on now to emphasize how we do it then. How do we show, how would Christ want us to do his work, or to do our work, um, and how diligent we are. There should be no difference in how the Christian does his work when the boss is watching and when he's not watching. Because the fact is, the boss always is watching. If we're doing it to the Lord Jesus Christ, he's our boss, he is always watching. Boys and girls, there should be no difference in how you do your work when the teacher's in the classroom and when the teacher leaves the classroom. Although when I think about that now, the teacher's probably not allowed to leave the classroom. In my day, the teacher could leave the classroom and that's when the rubbers got thrown and that's when the, no the volume of noise went up. And all kinds of things happened when the teacher was out of the classroom. Well, it shouldn't happen. A Christian shouldn't need to be clocked in and out. A Christian shouldn't have to fill a job sheet stating what they've spent their time on over the past week. A Christian, in effect, should not need a charge hand above them who's walking round and making sure that the work is being done. Why not? Because we have a master in heaven always watching. And there's to be a consistency about you and me in the workplace. A steadfastness, a reliability, a punctuality that stands out. It speaks poorly of Christians and of our Saviour. If we're to be in work for a certain hour and we're not there, if we're to be doing our business at a certain time and we're not there, and it speaks volumes of our Saviour and to our employer and to other workers when we are what we ought to be, not standing around with our hands in our pockets. We have a constant joke in our family and I hope, it's, uh, I hope we're not being unfair, but about the DOE. And uh, there's a roundabout outside our house, and uh, for the second time in nine years, 
when we've lived there, this roundabout has been crashed into. The most recent one was last Sabbath night. We were sitting in the front room and we heard, and I said, what's that? And we went out and looked, car, smack onto the roundabout. So that was fine. They got sorted out and they went on about the business. A couple of days later, three DOE officials come and look at the roundabout and lift the stones and put them a little bit further in out of the way. Three officials to look at a roundabout. And you see, it's, it's that idea, and so often you see a half a dozen men standing looking into a hole. And one is in the hole working. And you think, what's happening here? There's something wrong when people are standing around with their hands in their pockets. And so you and I have got to think about that in our lives. We're not punching in time. And what about the internet today? Boys and girls, young people, you're supposed to be doing your homework on the computer. You have a whole series of tabs open. And when mum and dad comes past, oh, you're clicking the homework tab, and there you're in the midst of the homework. But then they go round the corner, and the other page is up, and you're surfing the net. That's not serving wholeheartedly. What about us as employees? Do we surf the net and work when we should be getting on with our job? The texting, mobile phone always on, and answering texts when we're supposed to be working, checking personal emails. The temptations are so much greater now with all the personal technology that we have than in an earlier day when the only way that the outside world could contact you was through the office telephone or the works telephone. If you and I are paid for 40 hours work, we should give 40 hours work wholehearted service to our employer. And it deals also, this serving wholeheartedly, not just with the hours and, uh, and getting on with our work, but I believe it also deals with our attitude. Wholeheartedly. Gladly. Not grudgingly. We're to serve without grumping. What happens when things go wrong in your work? Do other people immediately hear and say, don't go anywhere near him today because he will take the head of you. Or he's like a bear with a sore head. You see, there's something wrong if that's what's happening. And if that's how, if that's the impression we're leaving as Christians in our place of work. Serving wholeheartedly, I believe, doesn't mean you're to be a perfectionist. That's a great danger for us as Christians. We want things to be perfect. And things won't be perfect. And we live in a broken world. And perfection is not possible. And we've got to say at points, I've done my best on this job and this aspect of my work and it's time I did no more in it. I've got to move on to do something else that needs to be done in my work. Or maybe for some of us, and I speak to myself here, it's that we've got to say it's time for me 
to leave that and to go home and to be with my family. It means also, does it not, that we leave the problems of work at work. We don't bring them home. And that's a particular challenge that I find I've had to grapple with in the ministry because your work and your home is the same place. And I have had to check myself at times because I find myself maybe working on a passage and not getting enough done and coming out frustrated out of the study and sitting down at the meal table and not engaging with my family. That's wrong. That's wrong. We've got to check ourselves, men, if we're doing that because we're not giving ourselves then to our families. And work cannot dominate our lives to the point that we neglect our families or that they suffer. So there's a balance here. doesn't mean uh, working wholeheartedly doesn't mean that I work every hour and every minute of every hour of every day. It means I give what I'm required to give in, as we call it today, in my contract of employment. And I know many Christians give more, and it's right to give more. But there comes a point we've got to say, I have no more to give. Because I have others in life to whom I have to give. Third thing. Serve, or sorry, workers serve assuredly. Serve assuredly. And here we have another present participle. We're to obey knowing now. Verse 8. And uh, the NIV it doesn't translate it as, an, as a, a participle. Uh, we'll just see where it is now. Because you know. It's the same sense. But knowing that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. My father served in the B Specials and also in the UDR. And in my parents' house hangs a certificate that my father, like many other part-time soldiers, received. And it begins with these words in bold. For loyal and distinguished service. That's what every soldier got. Because of the risk they took the time they gave to protect our country and to serve our country at a time when it was very, very dangerous to do so. And it was a recognition of the service that my father and thousands and tens of thousands of others like and gave to their country. And in industry in the past, as I was saying, there was the gold watch that the person received when they had served the company 25 years but here's the question. What if in your workplace, your employer doesn't recognize loyal, distinguished service? What if your employer doesn't even say thank you? What if no matter how hard you work, how much you give, it's not good enough? Or no one notices and more is expected. What if the person who does less in your workplace gets more and gets on better? That does happen. 
What if promotion is not decided on merit, but on who carries favour with the boss? Well, Paul deals with that here, knowing that, knowing that. In Paul's day, many Christian slaves lived and worked in abysmal conditions. Like that that we read of in Exodus 1 of the Israelites in Egypt. And their lives were constantly under threat and their work was undervalued and unrewarded. How were they to respond, these Christian slaves? Well, Paul, having shown them that their service as slaves is to the Lord, now assures them that their service to the Lord will not escape the notice of the Lord. They're not to fall into the trap of thinking, what's the point? Why bother? I'll just do the minimum like everyone else. No one notices. No one appreciates. It makes no difference. Paul says, there is one who notices in heaven. And there's one who rewards loyal and distinguished service. He notes what you do. He rewards what you do. And the reward is both present and future. It's present. Now. And we're not to think in terms of it being material. That we're going to get paid more. Somehow. Because we're a Christian. Many Christians. I've known Christians who've worked, as it were, to use the phrase, their guts out. And they've given everything. And they have not been recognised and rewarded maturely. But here's where, the, here's where the reward takes place. It takes place in your spiritual life. The growth that God brings about in you. The likeness to Christ that he works in you. As you work in very trying circumstances. Unappreciative people. It's James chapter 1 again, where Paul, where James writes about uh, under the trials, counting a joy, because the testing of your faith produces perseverance and those qualities. So that's the word reward now. Think also of the reward that awaits you in heaven. Awaits you in heaven. What did Jesus say? What's going to happen when we enter heaven? We're going to hear that reward. Well done, good and faithful servant. And maybe for some of you, the context in your work and the way to survive your work situation, which is very difficult and unfair and could embitter you, and discourage you. Maybe the way, what you've got to do is to go out to that workplace every day with these words echoing in your ears, knowing that the Lord will reward. Knowing that the Lord will reward me. Workers, serve obediently, serve wholeheartedly, serve assuredly. Finally, let's talk then to masters for a moment as we close. Masters, 
manage accountably. Manage employers. Manage accountably. That's an attempt to summarize the, the thrust of what Paul is saying in verse 9. Masters. And you see there's an imperative again. One big word like the obey for the slave. Here's the big word for the master. Do. Do. You can do so much for your employees. And you've got to do, Paul says. Do the same things towards them, towards your slaves, your employees. That's the same things that you expect them to do for you. And here now is the first of the present participles, giving up, threatening. And then here's the next of the present participles, knowing that also your own master is in the heavens and there's no favoritism with him. Do giving up, knowing that. So what is the master to do? It's an imperative again. It's for all masters. Christian masters, there is something you are to do. What is it? And here's the most revolutionary thing that Paul is saying in this. You're to treat the people that are under you not as things. Not as property. But as persons. That's the thrust. That's the out, That's the um, um, outworking of what he's saying when he says do the same things. Treat these people not as a number. Not as an object. Not as a piece of property. You're to treat them with dignity and respect. Your role of managing people is also Christian service done to the Lord. You've got to think of it that way. I'm doing this. I'm handling these people. I'm managing these people. I'm employing these people as I would employ the Lord Jesus. And what will that mean? It will mean encouraging them. Caring for them. Protecting them. Providing for them. Rewarding them. As I would do if it were the Lord Jesus. And what a difference that would make in the workplace. For every employee, if every Christian employer, every boss, every line manager, treated those under him or her as they would treat the Lord Jesus. It'd be as delightful going to work as it is coming to church the Sabbath day. In Paul's day, slaves lived under constant threat. And these threats of their masters weren't idle, they weren't empty. They weren't the kind of threat you sometimes hear parents make to their children. If I have to get up of my seat, or if I have to go up those stairs... And we've all seen situations and heard situations where those words have been said and the children just keep going on because they know that mummy or daddy won't get up at their seat and won't go up the stairs. Well, that wasn't the case of the Christian master. If he said, if I have to, then you were in real trouble. Because these masters were merciless. Slaves were sometimes maimed 
sometimes whipped, sometimes put in chains, sometimes mutilated in their bodies. They had their teeth knocked out, eyes gouged out by cruel masters. In some cases, they were sent to the equivalent of the workhouse or the prison for badly behaving slaves. And if a master chose, he could put a slave to death without any consequence before the law of the land in the Roman Empire. And Paul rules all those things out with one simple verb. Giving up. Giving up threatening. Day after day. There's to be no threatening. That is a bullying type of tactic by an employer who's a Christian with his employee. And what is the reason why Paul said giving up this? Why were they to give it up? Well, Paul could have given many reasons. You'll get more out of your slaves if you treat them well. That's true. But that's not the reason. You'll bear a good testimony to them if you treat them well. And perhaps those who are not Christians will become Christians. That's also true. You'll be a good example as a Christian master to other Christ- or to other non-Christian masters or other newly Christian masters. And that also would be true. But Paul lifts the whole argument above the present to the future to the day of judgment. What does he say? Give up threatening, knowing that your master is in the heavens. Christ is in the heavens. My work will be tested. My management will be tested on the day of judgment. Paul says. And so masters and managers and employers and foremen and team leaders and line managers, all those buzzwords that are out there today for people who are over others, remember you will answer on the day of judgment and manage people now in a way as you too or will enable you too on that day to hear his well done good and faithful servant as you managed others so manage accountably look into heaven look into the day of judgment doing and creating for these people that are under you an environment that enriches them and giving up anything that is of a threatening or a bullying nature. We need the grace of Christ, don't we? To do these things. And he's the great example. Because he was the great servant. But also remember, he was the one who was called master by his disciples. And so, if we're workers, we're to look to him as the example of our service, but also as the one who will give, enable us to give this service. If we're masters, we're to look to him as the master, the model master, and the one who will enable us by his grace to be like him. So whatever our role, Christ is our example. 
Christ is our only way to be whatever we are called to be in this world, in the place of work. Amen. Let's pray. We thank you, Almighty God, today for your Son, our Saviour, the one who was the perfect servant, the true servant, the one who always served obediently, the one who served wholeheartedly, the one who served assuredly, knowing that he would hear your well done, good and faithful servant as he returned from heaven from his work on this earth. Lord God, help those of us who are servants today, workers today, employed by others. Help us to look to Christ as our example, but also to look to Christ as the one who will enable us to be what we ought to be and to do what we ought to do. We thank you that Christ, as others were with him, the disciples, they called him Master. And they looked to him. And they saw in him a great example of how to work with others. And how to manage others. How to be a blessing to others. Uh, in life. And in relationships. And in the workplace. And Lord God, we pray that we too, if we have responsibility as we all do in one way or another for others, that we would look to Christ as our model, but also know Christ as the one who enables us to be what we have to be. Help us to do all these things, looking to the day of judgment, knowing that we have one in heaven who sees, one in heaven who will judge all that we are and all that we do. And it's only by his grace and by his strength that we will be able to stand in that day. Forgive us where we have failed in our attitudes, either to our work or to people that we work with, people that we work under, people that we work over. Lord, help us. Help us to reflect our Saviour and to become like him more and more. In Jesus' name. Amen.